Hi, hello, hi. Hi, welcome back to our March Madness Bracket. It is still March and we are still mad. God damn it. <laughs> so, so very mad. Uh, this is the Media Bell Podcast March Madness Bracket for 2019. This year our bracket is video game franchises. How we're doing this is we're doing this in four parts uh, with a final podcast after the four. Essentially, uh, we are we have divided our video game franchises into uh, platform, and this includes Nintendo, Sony, Microsoft, your three major platform holders, and then a fourth category for multi-platform releases or PC franchises. So, uh, what we did already, we've already uh, recorded a Nintendo uh, podcast for you that's already up. That one, we broke down our picks for Nintendo franchises that we thought would compete. And we narrowed it down to two players that will appear in our bracket. We're going to do the same thing for Sony today, and then in the future episodes, Microsoft and your multi-platforms. So uh, I don't think we introduced ourselves last episode, so I'm Matt and he's Mike. I'm Mike, he's Matt. We are the Media Boat Podcast, but you already knew that because you clicked on the play here. That's true, yeah. If you didn't know, it would be very, very strange to go into this. Yes, uh-huh. uh, but because you clicked on this, uh, you know that we are doing Sony today. Yeah, we are. Yes, all 24 years of Sony. Twenty, I mean, 1995. Yeah, 94 in Japan. 94. So, so we can say 25. We'll say 25. Round up. Nice. Yeah, we'll round up. Give them, the, give them the benefit of the year. Uh, but yeah, uh, Sony is a weird one um, in this list. Maybe not as weird as Microsoft. But it's weird because they're not as ubiquitous as Nintendo. They haven't existed as long as Nintendo in the big scheme of things. Um, and they um, are almost equally as known for their strong third-party third support as they are for the first-party releases. Whereas Nintendo, it's like so like 80% first-party that it's like easier to talk about their like famous franchises than it is. So Sony and Microsoft will be a little bit... We won't maybe be able to talk at, at, as long as we did about the Nintendo stuff. But I'm sure there'll be stuff here and there. Yeah, we'll definitely have stuff to talk about, which is why we're doing this. That's why we're doing this. That's why we're doing this. Uh, but, as we said, we're doing Sony back in 1995, 94. Yeah. Japan. Um, I grew up with a PlayStation. Yeah. I grew up owning all PlayStation consoles, yes, including portable. Yeah. Uh, so I have a strong You even had a Vita. I have... Still, I still have a Vita. Still have your that Vita remains yours. Yes, that Vita is still in. I do want to clarify: we're going to be talking about first-party Sony releases here. Yes, these are. Or, first- and this is where an asterisk comes in: franchises that used to be first-party Sony. I say that because, unlike Nintendo, there are first-party releases that identified the PlayStation brand that are no longer under the Sony umbrella. We have to yes. put that asterisk because I know. At least one of those franchises will come up today. Yes, and I know so, one of them for one sure. One of them for sure. So yeah, we, that will. So we'll always mention that if that's the case. But just be be aware of that now. Yes, and with that, should we get started? I say let's go for it, and I would like you to start because you were a little bit more prepared than I am. Okay, well, since this is PlayStation, I feel it's like we did with Nintendo. We should start at the top with the one. Most people recognize as the Sony mascot. Yes. We're going to start with Crash Bandicoot. And this is one of our asterisks. Yes, we know that in the 2000s, the Crash Bandicoot franchise 
was handed over, I guess you could say, from Naughty Dog, the original studio, yep. uh, which was is was and still is under the Sony brand, uh, to Universal Games, which has basically been the shepherd of it since. Um, in recent years, though, we kind of had a, a return to the classic uh, crash. Those classic games have come back. Yes, the Insane trilogy. Yeah, but but for but there was a period of time there where it was definitely not a PlayStation exclusive franchise. Yes, it did dabble in the handheld department yeah. over at Nintendo. Yeah, and there is other non PlayStation versions of the remakes as well. Yes, there we, we understand. One and a Switch release. Yes, we understand <laughs> that, but. For the purposes this argument, of this you were argument, about the first three games in Crash Team Racing and Crash Bash. And, oh, I um, always forget about Crash. <laughs> yes, um, and there's also the Crash Bandicoot uh, PS2 version as well. That I believe was still published by Sony, but it was that was developed by Universal. Yes, yeah. but that was still a Sony-only right. release. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, you're right. You're 100 percent right. Uh, Crash Bandicoot was the face of the PlayStation. It was yep. their mascot when mascots for consoles still mattered. Yes, when they, <laughs> they had big fuzzy suits, uh, oh, yeah. big um, characters for their commercials to run out and do crazy things. But yes, Crash Bandicoot was basically Sony's response to Mario platforming. I would argue that it's somehow somewhere between Mario and Sonic. Like, yeah. I think Crash Bandicoot is weird because gameplay-wise, he has more in common with Mario, but, like, design and attitude-wise, he has a lot in common with Sonic. Yes. So it was, it was basically them learning from both of those franchises and basically creating, like, yeah, their version of a mascot platform. Well, even the name, Crash Bandicoot, is basically a rip off Sonic yeah, the hedgehog. Definitely, one hundred percent. Yeah, let's take a weird ass marsupial, <laughs> and that that isn't in the, native to the United States, and, and, and let's make a big video game character. Yes, and give him a verb name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, ultimately, well, I think actually now that I think about it, I think you, you can find hedgehogs here. It's just bandicoots you can't. Yes, bandicoots uh, can't. So it's not not exactly the same thing. No, I believe bandicoots <laughs> are Australian. Yeah, they're like dingoes. Yes. Dingo. Right. Uh, but yeah, so positives. Uh, what, are, what are the first things that come to your mind when you think of good things about those Crash games? Um, I think that they were fun to play. They There was no tutorials. It just ran you right into the game. Just, yeah. here you go. First level. Go. We'll, we'll show you along the way. Which became kind of Sony's go-to MO for a while. There was a bit. your first level is your tutorial, but we're not just going to fly out and say tutorial. It's going gonna to be Here's your first level. We're going to teach yeah. you all the mechanics that you need to know for this game and use that in a variety of different ways. I think a lot of that is because of uh, when that game came out. Uh, that was a 1996 Six. title. So this was before Mario 64. And I want to make sure that people know that because they come from very different schools of thoughts. The thought. Mario 64 was Nintendo basically being like, how can we do a completely new kind of video game for this new technology? Crash Bandicoot, on the other hand, was how can we visualize in 3D the 16-bit platformers that, we, that people love? Mm -hmm. And that's why the two games play so differently from each other. Is because the, the reason why it's so pick up and play is because basically it's a 3D version turned around of a Mario game. 
It's literally jumping on boxes to destroy them. It's literally collecting items. It's jumping over pits. It's, it's jumping on enemies. It's finding secret things in the level, getting secret exits. It's Super Mario World, but if you saw it from behind Mario. Yeah, if it was turned into a 3D <laughs> yeah. third-person view instead of side-scrolling. Yeah, which was a big deal in 1996 because we were still learning 3D game development. Mm-hmm. People were still experimenting with 3D, how 3D games were going to work. So it made sense as kind of a first step for a developer to be like, well, just make the thing we like and people know 3D. And so, yeah, like, I think that, that you're right. It definitely has an advantage about being so immediate because of that. Yeah, it's also a game that people were easily able to gravitate towards. It had a very distinguishable mascot. It's orange, first off. Yeah. It's orange. It wears shorts. It has a style. It has, it has a style. It has, yeah, a certain, it has, style. It has a certain 90s attitude mm-hmm. style that it basically hit dead on. Yeah. In Mark, the way that Sonic, it does the, does the yeah. Sonic things in the same kind of way, where it's like, here's a very, very clear like design and world that we've created. Right. And this goes beyond just the just Crash himself, but even his the extended universe that it goes yeah. into. Uh, Doctor Neo Cortex has a clear design, rather more of an Eggman design than mm-hmm. most, but um, definitely a clear design where you can tell. Okay, obviously bad guy. Yeah. You have the sister, which is obviously tech nerd, laptop overalls. It may be a little. Two yeah. on the nose there. I mean, it was 1995. But it is 19. Yeah, this time. Game, it was 1995. It wasn't like you know as nuanced as as we could get later. But like, also, I think that it had the one other thing it has in common with with Sonic is that it aged up a little bit from Mario. But like Mario is is safer for younger kids. Crash Bandicoot has the attitude that's more for older kids. Yeah, and it definitely had that worked in Sony's favor. I mean, Sony did the same thing that Sega did. With the Genesis, which was, instead of advertising towards children and exclusively towards children, we're going to uh, try to get the audience that Nintendo doesn't cater to. Older kids, teens, adults. And I think that's one of the thing, reasons why Crash Bandicoot resonated, was because it wasn't didn't feel like it was pandering. It was kid-friendly without having to talk down. Well, it also kind of set the bar for Sony as well, that yeah. we're not going to necessarily cater... To the young kids, we're going to cater to the teens, the attitude, the yeah. the kids who grew up with the NES and yeah. the SNES, which defined but, the PlayStation in a lot of ways. But are too old to play those yeah. games. That they want something a bit more challenging, a bit more layered. Yeah. Which is the classic way to beat Nintendo. Essentially, is what people have learned. Is we need to on- offer. It's kind of almost like the the the, the Pepsi thing. It's like. Coke and Pepsi have existed amongst each other for so long. And the question always is, like, why hasn't, like, one just disappeared? If, if Coke, Why hasn't Pepsi disappeared if Coke is so popular and ubiquitous? And the reason is because Pepsi has always portrayed itself as the alternative. And that's the only way to battle Nintendo at their own game. And that's what Sega found out, and that's what Sony found out. Mm-hmm. Is that, uh, that the, you need to show yourself as the thing for people who don't want to be what Nintendo says you are. And in this case, it was Nintendo thinks you're, chi- you're a child. Here's a thing for people who aren't children. Whether or not that's actually accurate, you know, whatever. But that's at least the marketing approach. And it worked. The PlayStation did as well as it did because they tapped into a market that Nintendo was afraid to, to, to access. 
And so, yeah, like, I think, like, you're right, Crash Bandicoot is a very early example of them toying around with that, even though it's a pretty safe version of that. Well, yes, it is safe. Even when you go into the other games, uh, Crash 2 and even Crash Warped, those two are very more similar than they are to the first one. Yeah. In terms of going to different levels, not necessarily worlds, but different levels and completing them. It's a formula. It's definitely formulaic. It made those games very formulaic, very linear. It wasn't trying to be anything but a video game-ass video game. But it sold, and it knew yeah. what its market yeah. was. But I, you can't fault it for something that it knows what it's trying to do. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah. Uh, but there are things you can't fault it for. Yes, it did try to copy yeah. Mario a little too much, uh, most notably with Mario Mario Kart and Crash Team Racing, <laughs> and then Mario Party with yeah, Crash yeah. Bash. It was the time, though. Like, I get why they did that. Yes. Sony needed their version of those games. But I think when we're talking about negatives, we have to talk about the actual games. Oh, and, do we have to? <laughs> yeah. The, the problem with, in my opinion, the problem with Crash Bandicoot is that they're so adherent to an older style of video game that they're too darn hard. I would say that difficulty ramps up significantly. That first game is super hard. The second game and the third game, yeah, they do get slightly easier and easier to beat. I mean, you you do get power. So you do get power-ups in the third one that help make it a lot more easier to beat. But yeah, that first one, because the controls are so simple and like you only have six options. Yeah. There's it's, only so much you can do. And that's, yeah, and that's exactly my next point, which is the simplicity. Whereas Mario games got more and more complex as they went on, the, the basic gameplay design of the, of the Crash games, even though they did offer, like, mini-games where, like, oh, you're in a jet ski, you're on a jetpack, like, as the series went on, like, they did introduce, like, variety to it. It's still very, like, you're going one direction, maybe occasionally, like, going back a little bit to get an item you missed. But you're getting items and you're jumping. Like, Mario evolved beyond that at a certain point in its franchise. And yes, uh, it's a, kind of our comparison to make because there are a lot more Mario games than there are right. Crash Bandicoot games. I mean, when Crash uh, Bandicoot was making games, yeah, it was... They didn't innovate uh, too much. No. It stayed in a wheelhouse, which is both a positive and a negative, I think. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, also, like, it's just the, the, because of the what would happen to the franchise and how, uh, like, the changing of hands and kind of the history up until these re- uh, up until these remakes, history was not kind to Crash Bandicoot. There was a period of time where people kind of just forgot about those games. They were bad for a while. Like, nobody cared. And yeah. that's a hard thing to come back from. And these new, the remakes, I think, exist a lot on nostalgia. They definitely do. That, that Those remakes sold mainly on yeah. nostalgia. Mainly they on... They are really good yes. versions of those games, though. They're the ideal versions of those games to play. They look great. They sound great. They, 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 they're polished in a way that those original games were at the time. But they're still those games. And that's going to turn a lot of people off. Yes, even playing the remakes, they still play like the old games. There is no real, like, easier mode for it, or there's no, like, scaling. They didn't do the thing that the uh, modern Mario games do, which is, here's a failsafe for if you're really bad. 
Mm-hmm. Like, the Mario games now, they're like, oh, you get gold Mario after you die three times, and that makes you impervious to damage. So, basically, here's a way to continue the game no matter what. And Crash doesn't do that. And I needed it to do that because I was awful at it. Right. Mario also got rid of its live system, which Crash right. never did or never no. could because it never continued past yeah, that. It's very traditional, but that means it's very stuck in time. Yes. It's of an era... And that is kind of problematic now because it's like it I just think we may compete. run into that problem quite a bit with yeah. Sony so, and Microsoft. The Sony games are tough because yeah, a lot of this stuff is very st- stuck in time and like little amber, just uh, fossilized uh, in like the period of time they came out. Because nobody can be Nintendo, and that's just the reality of it. But yeah, but I but I think that yeah, I think the games have uh, been remembered fondly because of the because of the time that they came out and what they mean for the PlayStation as a brand. So yeah, this sums it up. All right. So that's the first one on our list, Crash Bandicoot. All right. Well, I'm gonna talk about another Naughty Dog franchise. Okay. Because this is the one Sony one that I, I have talked about because it's near and dear to my heart, and that's Uncharted. Okay. We're going. Flipping in time, far forward to the future of the same studio. <laughs> same studio that brought you those very simplistic arcade-style games. Also is responsible for probably one of, maybe, the most cinematic, like... Like, yeah, cinematic, cinematic. is the, name, is the yeah. word for it. Franchise in video game history. It's, it's a franchise that's built on, this is gonna be the best-looking... Best playing, most like ridiculously like 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 technologically impressive game of its time when it comes out. When you every s- single time. When you start talking about video games being yeah. more than just a video game, yeah. Uncharted is usually where you start. Yeah, I mean they're 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 important to me because they're almost like my Crash Bandicoot when it comes to identifying uh, my experience with the PlayStation brand. Mm-hmm. Because I got a PlayStation 3 just a handful of months before Uncharted 2 came out. And so I basically used that time to play some Uncharted 1. I got used at a, at a Blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Back when Blockbuster was still a thing. Um, and yeah, and I played through that. Liked it. But then when Uncharted 2 came out, I got it the day it came out. And it was incredible. Would you say life-changing? I don't know life-changing. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just like the experience I had with that game, it's just so well-made. It combines the third-person shooter kind of gameplay that was popular at the time, to go back to your like stuck-in-time kind of mm-hmm. argument, uh, with the kind of the climbing and exploration elements and puzzle-solving elements of like a Tomb Raider, which at the time I was not familiar with, so that was new to me. Um, and with like a cinematic presentation that made the story seem like larger than life this was basically giving you a playable indiana jones movie in every single way with characters that were memorable with set pieces that were like crazy and like exciting and like throwing you into gameplay situations that you didn't expect uh like vehicle chases and and enormous gunfights and boss battles and then supernatural twists that you wouldn't think that you wouldn't see coming um, like the the series just constantly surprised me, like especially that second game. The third game, you know, it, it was it was still good. It wasn't as good as the second one, but it fleshed out a lot of the narrative that two didn't do. And then of course, the fourth one, the PlayStation Four one, just looks 
amazing and just plays even better than those games did. It's just, it fires on all cylinders every single time it comes out. I'm almost sad to kind of see that story ended because I won another one of those games. Yeah. They're that good. Well, yeah. I mean, when those games came out, it was around the time when third parties were dominating the market. Yeah. It was a time when you had to be either an over-the-top action game or a shooter game. (laughs) There was no grounded big... There was no story-based driven single-party game until Uncharted, necessarily. Yeah, I mean, uh, Halo, you could argue. Uh, but that's still... I'll fall that into shooter. I'll fall that into shooter. And that is a shooter. Well, Uncharted is a shooter, let's be real. Okay, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, we're not to the negatives yet, but we'll get there about how that is a detriment to the series, unfortunate. unfortunately. But there's just so much, though, and I even like the shooting in those games. Like, especially in the second and third games. Uh, they do stuff with those games that were like, even the shooting, as much as it was kind of a pain in the first game, they figured it out and made it a fun element of the package. Made it a whole whole package. So you're kind of, you were like a, a late comer to the franchise. Yes. Uh, I didn't really come into the franchise until the third one. I saw the second one. I saw how much yeah. rave reviews it was getting. Oh. And I, 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 I understood why it was getting all these, but I didn't come into it until the third one. Mm-hmm. Um, I did play all the Legacy Collection edition of it. Yes, yes. Um, it is definitely, I saw all the cinematic experience from it. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely one of the best things Naughty Dog has put out, considering it came from Crash Bandicoot. Yeah, and there's some DNA in there. Like, mm-hmm. there are some of the running towards the camera, escaping a Jeep stuff that yes. is very reminiscent of Crash Bandicoot. Uh, uh, design. Like, there are little bits and pieces where you can see some of that. I mean, to the point where they even have the first Crash Bandicoot in as an Easter egg in Uncharted 4. Well, not Easter egg. It's you, perfectly you literally there. play the first or the second level of Crash 1 in that game. Yeah, which it makes reference <laughs> to why would you be riding towards the camera only to have that scene <laughs> replayed in the second act. Yeah, that was hilarious. But yeah, but yeah like, it's it's... Um, it's the, storytelling is the yeah, the the hallmark of those games. Yeah, for they, sure. They are cinematically beautiful to look at. When we played Uncharted Four, I took pictures of every vehicle yes. in that game because they all looked it great. Looked great, it looks amazing. That yes. game looks amazing still. And and while we're talking about that, one of the most innovative things about Uncharted Four was the photo mode. Yeah. Uh, rarely do games. I mean. When it came out, rarely did games ever give you the option to adjust photos, to adjust screenshots on the fly. And I want to say that was one of the first ones. It was early on that trend. Early, yeah. yeah, it was early enough in the PlayStation 4 life cycle to where that was something people were posting about and raving about. Yeah. Though, we should talk about some of the negatives. Um, so the overall problem with Uncharted is that, yeah, it does boil down, it is a shooter. And yeah. the reason why this is a problem is because there's so many games that at the time and now that do that kind of, that brand of third person shooting better. Uncharted will never be Gears of War. Gears of War, very different kind of like game thematically, mm-hmm. but the shooting is just better. It's just a more consistent experience. The problem with Uncharted, especially that first game, is that because it has to have like a basis in semi-realism, at least until the supernatural twists. Um, the, the only way they can make the enemies harder is to make them absorb more bullets. 
So it puts you in a lot of situations where you're just shooting the same dude like eight times, which is neither realistic nor fun. Well, they do add bigger padded armor, yeah, but, but that's, it. It's, that's it. That, yeah. There's not a whole lot you can do in terms of changing up the enemy. And so, yeah, the game has problems with escalating enemy uh, difficulty. It has problems with boss battles. Now, Uncharted 2 is an amazing game, but the final boss sucks. It's like Mass Effect 2 in that way. I mean, those are about the same time frame, too. It's like, it's like, here's this amazing game experience that's fun and full of craziness throughout, and then you get to the end of the game, and it's like, wah, wah. It just sucks. You're just running around, uh, like, around a tree, jumping over obstacles, and occasionally taking a pot shot at this dude. That's it. That's the boss battle, and it's not good. And so, yeah, it's like, it has weaknesses when it comes to actual gameplay. It also has weaknesses in story. Like, as much as it wants to be this cinematic blockbuster, it's also a video game. Yep. And so it's really hard to, like, keep that going for eight hours of gameplay. And the Uncharted games are not short. They're, like, eight to ten hours each. I think Uncharted 4 may be even longer. Like, they got to the point where, like, a story that you could encompass in an hour and a half movie, where that would fit better, they had to come up with padding for. The most, one of the most egregious examples is in 2, where... The, uh, the uh, Chloe character literally triple crosses you because they need to keep making you guess about what her uh, alignment is, mm-hmm. whether she's working with the bad guys or not. So they she, she backs away from her double cross, and it's just like one too many times to make it like fun or interesting. And so it's like that kind of annoyed me. And then three, like they used the back, like the, they used a, a mechanic to. Uh, 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 a time like a, a flashback mechanic a little too many times where it's like here's young Drake and how he met like the the Sully, his Sully or the like, bad yeah, guy or they're all like, intertwined. This is fine, but like we didn't know any of this. And then four, the ultimate we didn't know any of this is of course. Oh, guess what? Nathan has a brother now. Yes, and, and here's <laughs> we've never talked about him before. Right, and that's actually one of the things that that kind of irked me the wrong way was yeah. here's this adventure that you go on where you star as the brother. Only to realize then the next chapter, that adventure you went on, never happened, <laughs> doesn't exist, yes. and it's completely made up for you to go through for no reason, yeah. be- other than other than BS, other than bullshit. Yeah, it's just like, because, and that's only because it's a video game. They right. have to make video gaming excuses for why the story is weird. Uh, which is fine, but like, yeah, it's like a lot of people have issues with the game because of those two main things. It creates kind of an inconsistent kind of atmosphere, and, like, I get why people don't like them. Like, there are, like, some really prominent video game uh, critics that don't like Uncharted, and I get why. It's because, like, as much as, like, fun bombast as it is, when you get to the nitty-gritty of it, they're only okay games. Like, the actual moment-to-moment gameplay, it's fine. It's just, it's better, and it's, like, it feels more of an experience because of everything around it, because of the presentation, because of the atmosphere. And so, yeah, like, it's kind of like Metroid in that way, where it's, like, not going to be everybody's tea to play. Like, but the thing is still an important enough package and mattered enough when it came out that it has to be in the conversation. Well, yeah, it's definitely in the conversation. I mean, for a while there in the PS3 era, Mm -hmm. it was the game that, like I said, that that proved cinematic events for video games. Oh, yeah. Then uh, here's like an, an ancillary question, though. 
and I don't know the answer to this, so I'm going to ask you. Okay. The next question I have is, do we include The Last of Us under the Uncharted umbrella because they're very, very similar to each other, or do we allow that to compete by itself? We allow that to compete by itself. <laughs> it's its own title. Okay. It's not in the same universe. Yeah, I don't know, though. Even though there, there are Easter eggs between them. I don't know, though. They're I really similar. Eggs, I believe they are Easter eggs. All right. All right, fine. Just a quick question. They're, they're, they're I, don't not know that, I don't know if that... Will come up today, but I'm just saying, getting ahead of just in case it does. Okay. They're very similar. Yes. That would be insane if we had three Naughty Dog games. Well, I'm going to break that and go with a non Naughty Dog game. I have a feeling I know what's on your list. I have a feeling you don't. So, I'm going to go with an Insomniac game. I'm surprised. Okay. Okay. What did you think I was going to go with? There's one that I'm surprised that you're not leading with. Oh, okay. Well, that's because I have two more to go. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to go with an Insomniac game, and not the one from the PlayStation 1 era. No, it's the correct one. The correct one. The one from the PlayStation <laughs> yeah, 2 era. the one that matters. Era. Yes. Ratchet and Clank. Yes. And that entire franchise. I'm glad this is on here, because I think this is important. I totally forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're 100% right. Ratchet and Clank. Yes. So, Ratchet and Clank introduced a lot of elements, not just to video games, but to video game gameplay, and to the PlayStation as well. Mm -hmm. uh, it introduced world traveling. It introduced leveling up your weapons. It introduced a comedic sense of timing, that games can be fun, enjoyable, um, cartoony, but still have heart. Well, it's not that video games didn't do those things no. before. It's, it's that a PlayStation 2 game in an era where everything was taking itself way too seriously, Oh yeah, this was a big deal. Because it was like, here's something that your your kids would like. It was like almost like an evolution of the concept be, concepts behind Cra Crash Bandicoot, except in a game that people actually wanted to play in 2002. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, this... Like, this game, not just, like, it, it, it made my childhood, in a sense. <laughs> it was definitely a crutch of, we're going to play this game, we're going to beat it. And then, on not just, like, beat it through, it's, like, one of the games I first yeah. perfected. Because it was such an enjoyable game to where it had New Game Plus. Which, to me at the time, whole new concept. Yeah. What do you mean? I can run through the exact same game I just played... But I don't have to start over. <laughs> what do we like yeah. that, that? That blew my mind. And yeah. I, not only that, but in the in the later games, you took the weapons you had. If you'd already leveled them up, well, guess what? There's a whole new level you unlock only after playing, only after uh, when you have to go through new game plus mode. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of hidden secrets, hidden Easter eggs, uh, hidden museums within the game files. Yeah, whereas Crash Bandicoot probably like like definitely brought back a lot of arcadey sensibilities mm -hmm. to uh, like a game in the mid '90s. I think one of the coolest parts about Ratchet and Clank it, it does too, but it brings back all the cool stuff, like all the like the like the east like like you said Easter eggs and and like upgrading weapons and stuff, arcadey video gamey elements that video games had largely left behind around the time of the early two thousands. And, like, I think that its gaminess made it unique and made it probably one of the reasons why it was such a popular franchise. And what brought me to it later, I was a latecomer to the series. I didn't play a Ratchet and Clank game until um, Deadlocked. Oh, you played the bad one. That's what I found <laughs> out later. See, when I first played it, though, I was like, this is fun. Yeah. And then, of course, the reaction to other people was like, if you think that's fun, you should have played the good one. <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, it like, blew my mind. I was like, wait a minute, is there stuff that's better than this? Because it's just the simple act of shooting in those games is so fun. And yeah. like the fact that they compound that with like fun uh, platforming as well. And upgrading weapons? Yeah, no, this was something that I would have eaten up at that age if I had had access, more reliable access, I guess I should say, to a PlayStation 2. And so, yeah, I jumped on uh, with the PS3 games after that. I played um, uh, uh, A Crack in Time. That's right. the only one I owned. And it was it was fun. I really didn't care for the, the, the puzzly clank stuff because I was like... It reminded me of Braid too much where I was like yeah. making... Copies of myself in the past. Yeah, uh, by the puzzles. by the time they got there, they yeah. had kind of capped on their puzzles, right? Because a lot of the puzzles that would have been from that game mm-hmm. originated in the first three, or I guess four. Yeah. So the, they grew from puzzles to shooters, which was a great way to implement both into the same game. I think going back to the weapon system. Because they were scaling weapons, unlike previous games where you bought a new weapon and that all of a sudden replaced the old one, mm-hmm. because of the leveling up system, you kept having to go back to that weapon to level up to make it better, to change its form. And then the weapons in itself were all unique. Um, you had close-range weapons, long-range weapons, uh, gadgets, gizmos, um, rocket launchers, grenade mm-hmm. launchers... Decoys, holograms, dance bombs. Yeah. There's such a variety, cartoony, that mm-hmm. element within each game. It's very Looney Tunes. It is. It's very Looney Tunes. It's got that kind of, yeah, like, attitude towards it. But, like, though, though, that kind of leads into a negative, though, I wanted to talk about, which is it always struck me as a franchise that didn't necessarily know who its audience was. It was. No, it knew who its audience was, but that audience was a teen demographic vibe yeah. that would never grow up. Yeah, that's the thing, though. Let, let, so, my this is my impression of it at the time as somebody who was probably the right age for it, but didn't have access to the games. Mm-hmm. My, like, seeing it was like, I, it felt like it was stuck in the middle for me, where I was like, oh, these, it was, it's a platform game that has these, like, cute characters in it in this world that's very, like, kid-friendly. But it's a shooter, and all the advert and the, the the games all have titles that are like weird sexual double entendres. <laughs> I love and that like, part. No, no, like, and I appreciate that now. But what I'm saying is, as a 13 year old who was ostensibly the audience for that game, I was confused about whether it was for me or not. I was like, "Who is this for? Is this for kids? Is this for teenagers? What is this game? What are these games that they're trying to sell me?" And so I could I I see why a lot of people probably skipped it because it's like either too kiddy or too weird for so many people. Well, it definitely has like the Kingdom Hearts vibe where it's it feels cartoony. It looks cartoony. It looks Disney yeah. Looney Tunes s. But, but there's also this teenage angst it's like gun violence. Yeah, for a series with like animal characters in it. Like, it's very telling that this is this is, was a teen-rated franchise. Right. Throughout. They, they, uh, they went into this game knowing that's what it was going to yeah. be. And it's just it made for such a weird, like, middle ground that I just wasn't used to at the time. And, like, I, I wonder if that's why it was un- underappreciated to a certain extent. It was because people just didn't know that it was for them. 
and so they never tried it. But yeah, if I had definitely played any of those games, I would have loved them. I know I would have, because that's exactly the kind of game I wanted at that time. So yeah, it's just such a weird, it's just weird feeling to that game that I can appreciate now that maybe I didn't. Also, also I think like one a possible other negative is kind of like Metroid, the lulls that you're talking about. Yeah. Like there was like the kind of the, the negatives of Deadlocked, uh, the confusion in the PS3 era about which ones were like major releases and which ones were like small digital games. Yeah. Because they put out that Quest for Booty game, which was kind of like a side thing. Yeah, there was a Quest for Booty and there was Into the Nexus, mm-hmm. which were PSN exclusive games, not necessarily full title games, yeah. but they still advanced the story. Um, there was also these side spinoffs of uh, Size Doesn't Matter and Secret Agent Clank. Yeah, PSP stuff. PSP yeah. stuff. I think it was Size Matters. Size Matters, yes. Because, <laughs> again, double entendres. But, um, but yeah, uh, I think that the, the, all of that has to, has to matter here. Which, I guess, to be fair, we probably if we were going to do this, we probably should have mentioned Uncharted Golden Abyss for the Vita, which apparently sucks. Oh, yeah. So if we like, we rewind the tape a little bit and just put that back in there as a negative. <laughs> okay, let's fast forward back to Ratchet Clank. But yeah, so like there, and now, I think, is also a, a lull in the franchise. Uh, yeah, as they did Clank, try and reboot it. Yes, but that was weirdly based on a movie. Yes, so I guess we have to talk about that now. Yeah, we have to so, talk about the movie. The movie is a retelling of the first right. game that came out in 2002, but there's a video game attached to that movie. <laughs> About the video game that came out in 2002. It's convoluted. But the good news, though, is from what I've heard, that movie is fine. It's not great, but apparently it's inoffensive kid. It's a, it's a fine kid movie, is yeah. what I heard about that thing. And the game, also in a similar way, is kind of a quasi-remake of the first game, and does a pretty good job of that. It does. It it's, feels like an HD remake of the first game, but it does enough within it yeah. to... Incorporate some of the stuff they would tell in the future of uh, of the franchise, but really they don't seem to be interested in making another one of those. No. Insomniac, Insomniac uh, since then we should mention has become a multi platform studio. Mm-hmm. They're no longer a Sony exclusive. Uh, they're making other games like they made Sunset Overdrive for Microsoft on the yep. Xbox One. They recently made the uh, uh, media boat favorite Spider Man over on the PS4. Yep. It's like they're doing so many other things. They got another uh, like an open world uh, uh, a samurai game coming. Mm-hmm. It's like they're just not that studio anymore. So the questionable future of the franchise makes um, I think that's a negative. Yeah, they did kind of they did try in the PS3 era do a new Ratchet & Clank Future series. Right. But that only had two and a half games. Two and a half games. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We right. We mentioned two of those. Yeah, we mentioned that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like, it's hard because it's like, it's not a very consistent franchise. It had its time, and I also don't know whether I want to say it's as important as you think it is. I think it did a lot of really cool things, but I don't think it influenced much. Well, I think, a, well... I think a lot of this is that it's important of the time. Yeah. A lot time. with the Sony stuff because, yeah. as we mentioned, a not there's not a whole lot of characters or franchises that carry over from console to console. Yeah, at least if you're not Nintendo. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, okay. Um, you have anything else to say about uh, Rash Click? Uh, no, but you have another game you want to bring up. Uh, let me check my list real quick. 
because I don't want to steal one from you. Okay. I, I want you to talk about one because you know more about it than I do. So All right. I'm going to see what else I got on here. Hold on. In well, my memos. Give okay. your memos because oh, we've we talked. Save. Never mind. I don't have my memos. All right. So, <laughs> so here we go. So we talked about Uncharted. Mm. We talked about mm. Ratchet and Clank. We mm. talked about Crash Bandicoot. Um. Yeah, this is tough because, like, I don't know what you think are the important ones on this list. There are some interesting ones, um, but I don't know if they rank. <laughs> So this is actually kind of difficult. Well, I don't know where, where you want to go with this. Do you want to go PS2, PS3, PS1, PS4? I don't know. How about you do one? Okay. Well, I'm going to go with one you think I'm going to bring up. Yeah. Because it's probably ostensibly one that's going to go on. Yeah, that's, in this. this is probably a pick. And that is the Santa Monica Studio epic that is God of War. Yeah, uh, God of War is important because it's, well, most recently, extremely important because it's relevant again. Yes. Uh, but even when it was a PlayStation 2 and PlayStation 3 franchise, it was a huge deal. This was a character action game that, one, Sony could call their own, and two, it was so over-the-top and ridiculous that people could not, like, could not not notice. Yes. There... This was a game that took violence <laughs> and expunged everything about it. They they compounded over-the-top violence, mm-hmm. over-the-top gameplay, over-the-top puzzles all throughout it. Also through a Greek mythology setting, which most people have a general loose basis with. General loose basis. General loose basis. Um, but definitely helped establish that more more so with the introduction of this background setting. Like, it's two things. It's it's Sony making a really, really good example of character action game, which was a huge deal in uh, 2000, whatever, whenever it came out. Uh, four, five. Four. Um, and it was, it, and the second thing, it was, it was them t- taking full ownership of a very adult, mature franchise. This yes. was their, for, this was their uh, version of like, hey, we can do what Microsoft so where they're doing, like and catering to a very mature crowd. Here's your mature game. Here's your Terran heads off dudes game. This is what you wanted, but also with enough gameplay where there was something meaty to hold on to. There was something. There was a good game to play. Yeah, there were puzzles within it which you had to solve. There was layers to the game, not just in game design, but in leveling up uh, Kratos, and there was a thick story to grasp onto a story of vengeance a story of redeeming yourself a story that not only resonated back when it was released in 2005 but that they were able to carry on into the game last or two years ago yeah uh 2000 yeah which i think in my opinion and this is Partially because I don't have much inf- uh, uh, much uh, experience with those first few games. Mm-hmm. But in my opinion, I think the strongest argument for God of War is the most recent God of War. I think it's proof that this is a franchise with the future. This is the opposite of Ratchet and Clank. This mm-hmm. is a studio that actively was like, no, we, rehab- we didn't rehab- rehabilitate this franchise because of nostalgia. We did it because we wanted to prove that there's a modern interpretation of this game that matters in modern video gaming. 
here's a way to update this entire world, this character, this kind of gameplay experience to a way that people are going to be talking about and awarding in 2018. Like, they made it a game that was so relevant that it took home Game of the Year awards. Like, that's a big deal for a franchise that had largely lost steam by this generation. Well, also with the most recent game, it not it didn't dismiss it didn't dismiss what happened in the old games. Right. It didn't say, "Oh, you you like you know this name, you know this franchise from the PS2 games. That's cool, but we're gonna do something different and just forget about that. We're yeah. just basically start fresh," which is what most companies would do when restarting an IP. Yeah, it, it, it's a reboot of sorts, but it's. Yeah. Mainly a sequel. It's a continuation of that story. I think you're right. I think it's the high current high bar for rebooting a franchise. Mm-hmm. It does it. It did it the best because it didn't only like remind you of the stuff that the old games did did well. It also removed all the bullshit that the old games did not do well. Yeah. And created something that holds up in the modern life. It also didn't try and retread anything. Right. It didn't try and say, okay, like with the Ratchet and Clank, where, okay, you remembered the first games, and you know, we're just going to reboot that, but with a new yeah. PS4 version it's of like, it. No, they rebuilt no. it. They rebuilt they, it from the ground up and said, this is a modern version of this. Right. They also explored new mythology to yeah. people. They explored a new dynamic of a father-son concept. I mean, it's to the point where we're excited and interested in what the next God of War game is. Which I didn't think I would ever say in my entire life. Like, I didn't think I would ever be interested in the franchise. Mm-hmm. It just didn't seem like my bag. Which I'll get to in the negatives. Uh, but, like, there are so many reasons why I was not interested. And then when we actually seen you play this game, I was like, oh, they made something remarkable here. They made something that matters. Yeah. So I got into this game because it was recommended to me because of over-the-top violence being a yeah, teenager yeah, yeah, at the time. Yeah. And it was Greek mythology, which I absolutely love, so, yeah. as you know. Makes uh, sense. So much so, so to where God of War 3 came out, I purposely bought the Ultimate Edition box, mm-hmm. and I still have that box. It <laughs> means something to me. Yeah. That game means stuff. It re- it left an imprint. That story left an imprint. Right, right. And that's the mark of great storytelling. But we have to talk about the negative. So there's sex scenes in this thing. So okay, well, well let's get this. Let's get this across right here. They are just like the other Sony games we talked about, products of their time. And yes. I'm specifically talking about everything but the most recent game. And what I mean by that is, at the time, character action games were huge. Devil May Cry, like later Bayonetta, but that era of combo-driven uh, third-person character action games was huge. And this was definitely that. So gameplay-wise, it is stuck in an era. Those games are. Yeah. It's like very much like. You're going to run around, hack slash, hack slash, hack slash, maybe solve a puzzle here and there, but mostly hack slash. You're going to learn these combos for these specific weapons. You're going to go from level to level, basically linearly doing this. But you're also going to add these cutscenes with quick time events. This is where quick time events uh. were the most popular things in video games. This era, God of War, was one of the biggest perpetrators of this. Constant quick time events. And so, yeah, to the point where, as you mentioned, there were sex scenes with quick time events. Not a great look in 2019, but it made sense where we were at in the video game culture in 2006. Uh, it was like, all right, games are going to you know, go for the lowest common denominator. We're going to be very excited about this very, very violent and bloody and sexy game. We're going to want to see the boobs. It was mature, <laughs> It got a mature rating, not yeah. just for the blood, right. but because it did get the mature rating, they decided to, hey, yeah. why not break this game? Right. And again... 
very of its time. Yes. Like, I think the 2019 game and how much restraint there is with the sexuality proves that they've maybe learned and adjusted for the times, which is cool. Mm-hmm. But but it is kind of a stain on the franchise as a whole. You have to take it as a whole for this argument. Right. And it means, like, yeah, that doesn't look great anymore. It's, it's a weird part, and that's what turned me off of ever wanting to play those games. I, as somebody who had a PS4, had no interest in playing God of War 3. And it was a combination of, one, it was the kind of gameplay that I didn't want to play, and two, it was an attitude of the kind of games that I didn't care for. I didn't want something super dark and over the top. I never did. That just has... This isn't who I am. And that maybe is more me personally than most people. But if there are other people like me, they probably had the same thought. It was alienating, almost, you could say, to a certain audience. Whereas it enthralled others. Right. Well, it was definitely built and created for a certain type of gamer. Oh, 100%, yes. Oh, yeah. That's Um, harder to market to now. Yeah. For sure. Uh, But since we also have to talk about the... Mobile titles for this thing. We have to talk <laughs> about the fact that there were oh, like was, Ascension. Like, like in all these Sony games have like the baggage of a crappy PSP game. <laughs> yes, we have Ascension and Chains of Olympus. <laughs> this uh, never came which, up with Nintendo. You know why? Because those games don't suck. <laughs> well, because their hand, their their handheld games are yeah, yeah. They're good. These are not. <laughs> well, so these games necessarily didn't suck. But they never added anything to right. the story. There's nothing like, oh, you have to play this game because it's going to further the story. There were no Kingdom Hearts. Yes. It wasn't like you had to play Birth by Sleep to know what's going on. Right. This is different. It was, here's a separate side story that will add stuff to Kratos' backstory, but never add anything to the main core story that you're worried about. Yeah. And if you're going to create a game, why not make it have... Meaning, I think it was tough because the portables. Sony always kind of treated the portables as like, I don't know if you want if this team wants to make a game for that thing, that's fine. It was always like a second thought. Yeah, that's probably one of the things that didn't help the PSP, no. PS Vita, PS Go. Yeah, that that those, all those all games were, were afterthoughts. Yeah, yeah, there was no dedicated game. For them that you had to play right. on those games. Right. On those consoles. So, yeah. I don't know. Uh, so, yeah. I think that the legacy that it has is hard to, to grasp. And I think that's why so much of this hinges on the most recent game. And let's be real. Like I said in our Game of the Year podcast, even the most recent God of War isn't free from being problematic. I mean, there's stuff about those portrayal of female characters in that game that isn't ideal. So, it's like, it's a tough franchise with a lot of baggage to it uh, that wasn't I don't that I think gameplay wise it's kind of similar to Uncharted whereas like I don't know if gameplay wise it holds up as much as some of the other games we'll be talking about in this bracket so maybe not across other yeah. brackets but within <laughs> Sony within the Sony stuff yeah maybe but like moment to moment though uh, yeah it, it's a tough one it's a tough one to talk about so yeah it's 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 yeah We'll see. <laughs> okay, well, we'll see, because yeah. you got to add another game to this list. We do. Well, yeah, I guess this is when it gets tough, because there's so many uh, Sony franchises that once were really, really important, and they totally squandered. And this next one is one of them. Let's talk about Gran Turismo. Oh, okay. I think it's time. 
All right. So we'll get this over with. So Gran Turismo used to be the the and I mean this the most important franchise on the PlayStation. There this, was a time. This was Sony's crown jewel. Yes. Japan, Sony Japan's crown jewel of a video game. This yeah. was the top tier five star <laughs> ten out of ten level. Gameplay looking, yeah. whatever it came out. Which is insane to think about now because they've largely abandoned it. Yeah. Gran Turismo games still come out, but Forza has eaten its lunch in a ridiculous way. See, I there you are say more like Forza games. <laughs> it's dust, exactly. Like, like, there are more Forza games that are at such a higher quality than the Gran Turismo games that now when they come out, nobody cares because... There are other better racing games they can play. But at the time, the PlayStation 1 and 2 eras, mm-hmm. yeah, Grand Turismo mattered. It was the highest selling game of the era on the PlayStation and was a routinely top 10 video game in sales every year. It, people loved those games. And I think the reason why is because up until then, nobody had an accessible, well, accessible is being kind. Uh, racing simulation game on a console at home. It just didn't happen. There was arcade adaptations like your San Francisco Rushes of the world. Right. There, there was the cartoony versions yeah. of like Crazy Taxi. Right. But you, but Gran Turismo was unique in the way it was like, no, this is not a racing game. This is a driving game. This is a, this is a simulation of what driving is. Here are all these brand name cars that you can test drive at home after you play the tedious tutorial to get your license, that is. Yes. Uh, but after you finish that, if, sorry, if you finish that, then you get to actually play the races. And it's like such an in-depth game that every detail of those cars were poured over. Every detail of the courses reflected real-life courses. They were also the graphics pinnacle of their respective systems. When that first game came out on PlayStation 1, people couldn't believe how photorealistic it was. And if you look at that game now, it looks like a pixely mess. But at the time, that was a major step forward in textures and, and uh, resolution in video games. PlayStation 2, same thing. PlayStation 3, same thing. After that, there's a drop-off. But those first three <laughs> games, though, it mattered in a way visually and mechanically that racing and driving games just didn't matter. No, yeah, those games were all about the look and the feel. Yes. Those games basically became the basis for modern racing games. Uh, simulation games. Simulation, yeah, simulation, not racing. But yeah. Simulation, the way the way that every game looked, the way that, that the track looked, the way the cars looked, the way everything felt, they were, in the beginning... Yeah. Like you said, in the beginning, they were the the game to bar, match up with. Yeah. Before Uncharted set the bar, Gran Turismo used to set the bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it used to be the thing that was like, oh, we need to make our games look as good as Gran Turismo or else we aren't competing in the graphics. When you talked about games being looking realistic, yeah, this was th- it was, hey, look at Gran Turismo. Let me show you this footage. Does this look like a video game? No. Oh, but it is. It you like don't believe me? That's what they but always it did. is. Those were games that they would always, Sony would always put out. Here's a real screenshot of this, a real picture of this track, and here's a screenshot of the track end of the Grand Turismo game. And they always looked almost the same. And that was their point. They were like, we're going for realism. Yep. It's like, here's this car. Oh, that's not the car. That's our version. Here's the actual car. <laughs> yeah. 
it was impressive, and I think that went a long way for people to be interested in it. It was a the car nuts game. Mm-hmm. It was designed for people who love cars by people who loved cars. The problem with all of this, though, is that turns out to be incredibly exclusionary. <laughs> and what happened was it was too hard. People would pick it up being like, I love cars, I'm going to play this. And they couldn't pass the driver's test. My dad and I whacked our head against the PS2 one. Uh, I think it was Gran Turismo 4 by that point. I don't think we played three A spec. I think we pl- picked up a, a rental of four. And we tried to beat the the, the, dry, the the trainer thing, and we couldn't do it. We could not do the thing that's required to play the rest of the game. And we were so frustrated with it, we returned it. It's like that steep difficulty. It's like, yeah, we get that you're trying to make the most realistic thing on the market, but the thing that Forza later figured out is that if you give your players options about what you want to make slightly easier, like I want to turn assists on, that assist stuff was revolutionary. It made those games accessible again, and I think that is the core reason why Forza ended up being the better franchise. Well, not just that, but Scratch entered the lulls. Yes, there 100%. was a lot of oh, we'll put this game out eventually. It's here's a little crazy update. Plays, yes. Here's an update of this game. Here's an update. No, no release date, yeah. but here's an update. See, yeah. see how well it looks. This is what we're improving on yeah. to the point where. People didn't care about the updates. They just wanted a date. They wanted a released window, a released time. When can I get my hands on this game? Yeah. Because you've been teasing me for five years, and nothing has nothing has changed. Right. The worst example was, uh, and the one you're probably thinking of, was Gran Turismo 5. Yes. There was the period between where they put out uh, Gran Turismo 5 Prologue yep. for the PlayStation 3 around launch time, and everybody was like, oh, this is cool, but like... Where's the real game? And 5 didn't come out for, like, another, like, three or four years. It was ridiculous. And then, like, they managed to put out 6 at the end of the console's life cycle cycle as well. But, like, by then, nobody cared. By then, everybody had moved on because they had taken too long to make that franchise matter. And, like I said, Forza completely usurped its position in the marketplace. Right, and no matter how well the game looked, because it took so long... (laughs) Yeah. People just fell off. They didn't care as much because it wasn't an annual installment and the things they did improve yeah. on weren't enough to get people back to playing it. There's a couple of other things that I want to bring up that are in its detriment. One is its adherence to realism means that it has real cars in it. The problem, and the only problem with having real cars, because having real cars is cool. You obviously, one of the cool things about Gran Turismo was always like, I want to play this really cool uh, like like sports car in the uh, in, in that I'd never be able to drive in real life in the video game because I'm never going to be able to drive it in real life. The problem though in why this is why it became less cool as it went on is that the car companies don't want you wrecking your the cool those said cool <laughs> sports cars. Yeah. So you had no damage models in the game. So if you ran into another car, all that would happen would be like you would like bump bump like bump into them and bump off or you would just go right through them and it was completely unrealistic and for a lot of people that would take them out of the realism of the experience yeah so that and the other thing i want to want to talk about is that just how video games over over a period of time visuals have diminishing realistic visuals we're getting to a point where they're diminishing returns the more realistic a video game looks now it doesn't matter because all video games look good 
technology has evolved to a point where it's no longer an impressive feat to make a car look like a car. We did that two generations ago at this point. Yeah. We're now to the point where people are experimenting again with unique graphic styles because realism is getting boring. So a game that's entire thing is, I look as realistic as anything else, that's not as impressive as it used to be. It's just not going to blow people's minds anymore if the next Gran Turismo looks real. It's just not. So yeah, the, the, all the things that the, the franchise did well don't matter anymore because either other people are doing it better or those things aren't important. <laughs> it's depressing when you think about it. Well, yeah, but that's just the nature of video games as they grow. It's it's taking what you've learned from not just the game you created, but from other people have created, and you need to make it better. And that's kind of the thing with video games. It's what's the new thing? Yeah. What's going to bring me into this thing? Why should I play your game compared to the game you put out last year or two years ago? Mm-hmm. And if those leaps aren't literal leaps <laughs> or new storytelling, then there's no real reason. It's why, like, you can't... Like, I don't pick up Madden every year. Yeah. I pick it up every three or four years. Right, yeah. Because the leaps they do aren't noticeable unless you take, like, a five-year leap. Yeah. And overall, like, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a complicated one because... It's important in a, t- like, again, it's important in the time, but, like, maybe not important anymore. So it definitely has that ne- uh, big legacy problem, which we've talked about before. Okay, how many more do we have left for Sony? Uh, I believe we have one more. All right. Well, let's see. We, we've talked about uh, Gran Turismo. We talked about Gran Turismo. We talked about Ratchet, Ratchet Clank. Clank. We talked about Uncharted. We talked about Crash Bandicoot. And we talked about God of, God War. of War. So that's five. We need one more, I guess. All right. Six. So we need one more for six. And I'm going to throw one out here that is a PlayStation exclusive. Not necessarily, I mean, it was innovative at the time, mm-hmm. but it's just a game that kind of just stuck around and became synonymous with the PlayStation. Okay. Twisted Metal. Yeah, this is an interesting pick. Um, this game, when it came out, was over the top, yeah. violent, definitely teen rated, yeah. and definitely something that was unique to the PlayStation brand. It was wasn't unlike any other game at the market at the time, and it continued to be unlike any other game because yeah. everything about that game was ridiculous, over the yeah. top. Car Cartoony, combat. car combat. So car combat. Let's talk about car combat for a second. Because <laughs> that, that is a genre that does not no longer exist. The reason, in my opinion, why car combat does not exist anymore, a little franchise called Mario Kart. And let me explain that. So, back when Twisted Metal came out, like, it was, the Car Combat was relatively novel. You're right. It wasn't something a lot of people were doing. There were some examples of it, and some examples that followed right after it, like Vigilante 8, if you ever played that. Like, there were games that were doing comparable kinds of things, but Twisted Metal was the name, like, the, the name everybody remembered, because it was the PlayStation exclusive, it was the franchise that kept going. Um, but over time, like, I think what happened is that the more arcadey versions of similar kind of things, like your Mario Karts, where there was combat elements in your racing game, they just beat it in popularity. Nobody wanted a gritty, violent car combat game anymore because you just didn't need it 
anymore. Like it was, it's a very like aesthetic that's very of its time. Not too dissimilar from God of War, actually. Like it was important at the time to like make a game like that, for sure. But it's also a very difficult game to like a franchise like control wise. Car combat games are weird because you have because you're always driving forward and your guns are usually mounted forward. Yeah. You have to be pointing right at the other dude to shoot at them. If you like, but driving a car, you don't always want to do that. You want to turn, and so like it's a very complicated from a control perspective. Probably why not a lot of those games are very good. <laughs> well, also a lot of the other games out there were racing games with combat yeah. built in as right. a side. Twisted Metal was all combat all yeah. the time. Uh, you could upgrade, you could change it, you could modify it. Yeah. But, end of the day, it's still car combat. Yeah. And it did try to do stuff with, like, it had a personality to it. Yes. These characters that were very memorable, Sweet Tooth, Clown, of course, the one everybody remembers. I like the dude Axel, who is just like a dude holding two tires. <laughs> he's so strong, he drives on those tires while he's holding it. Yep. That is how strong that man is. <laughs> Axel's so ridiculous. But yeah, like it created its own little mini world, its memorable characters, and attitude that they especially uh, uh, explored in the PlayStation 2 one, Twisted Metal Black, mm-hmm. where they made it M-rated. They made it like they focused in on the, the violence and the creepiness of it, and they made everything s- several shades darker. Um, that game's also important for another reason. That was around the time that Sony was starting to experiment with their network adapter and their own online gameplay. Right. That was their first exploration with the Twisted Metal series online. Right, with the PS2. Yes. Way back when. So, yeah, it's like um, it was doing a thing, but in, yeah, in, in a specific stylized way that, yeah, nobody else was doing. Yeah, it's definitely a game... Relegated to the PS2 mindset, especially PS1 when you think of them. Those first th- two, three, or first all three the PS1. Yeah, but definitely like in the Sony catalog when you think Sony games, Sony branded games. Yeah. But carrying on past that, it has the legacy. It problem. has a legacy problem. It has the stuck in amber problem. It's of its time. <laughs> yes. As with most of these Sony games. Yeah, it's very similar to uh, uh, God of War, except their reboot experiment failed. If you remember a couple of years ago, uh, one of the creators of the game brought back for a PS3 game, I want to say, towards the end of the PS3's life cycle. Yes, it, but yes, it, it made a big deal about and it being the only game. Nobody cared. Yeah, they made a big deal nobody about it being the cared. only franchise on the PS1, yeah. PS2, and PS3. But yeah, nobody but wanted nobody, to play it. Yeah. It was bad, and so, no, and so instantly everything just dropped out. And so, yeah, it's like, it's really tough. And so, yeah, I guess we have to talk about the mobile games for everything else. We have to talk about the PS3 version for yeah, this. Yeah, we do. It's all there. It's all game. Yeah. That's the problem with, with the, these these uh, these franchises. Yeah, I think this is probably the weakest one on this list for all the reasons why I, I said. is like, I'm going to throw out that maybe these games were never good. <laughs> okay. It, it was, yeah, it was of its time. It was unique. It was like a thing that did a very specific attitude. That PlayStation attitude that we were talking about earlier with Guy mm-hmm. Bandicoot started there and kind of was defined, yes, by games like Twisted Metal. Yeah. Well, all right, so I think it's time for some honorable mentions here. Yeah, yeah, so let's toss them out. All right, uh, one of the new ones, but because it only has one game and an expansion, Horizon Zero Dawn. Yeah, this made a huge impact when it came out, but it's impossible to know because there's only one game. Yep. <laughs> so we'll, this, that's a wait and see. 
Um, Spyro the Dragon. Tough, because they were very simplistic games. Yes. Even more so than Crash Bandicoot, even when they came out. But if there's one Insomniac game that's going to be on this list... It's definitely not Spyro. You've picked the right one, for sure. Uh, We guess we could mention the other Naughty Dog game. Um, the Last of Us, Part 1 and Last Future Part 2. It's tough because there's, it's so similar to Uncharted and Me, I feel like I couldn't spin it out. Yeah. Um, but also with Jack and Daxter speaking yes, of also with Jack and Daxter. So Jack and Daxter is tough because like I almost associate Ratchet and Clank and Jack and Daxter in the same kind of zone because they both came out for the PS2. They were there They were both curious where they were shooters at a certain point. I mean, the first yes. Jack and Daxter was not a shooter. I acknowledge that. But yes. the second and third ones very were. Yes. And so it's really tough not to have them cancel each other out. But yeah, Ratchet & Clank is the better of the two franchises anyways. Uh, we also had SOCOM, which was a PlayStation exclusive. Also important when we're talking about internet uh, connectivity. The SOCOM games on PS2 were Sony's flagship internet competitive games. Uh, we also have the Buzz Quiz that was a little later. That's the history era, yeah. and they didn't make a whole lot of them. Right. Um, it was a brief uh, uh, trivia fad in video games. Yeah. Uh, they're also Sly Cooper. Sly Cooper, yeah, that's more important for what it would what it would influence. Which actually, shoot, we talk, didn't talk about Infamous, which I think actually is the, is the is the uh, uh, sucker punch game you include here. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, Sly Cooper is important because it brought us Infamous. Yeah. <laughs> Infamous is sandbox. Yeah. It is open world. It superhero is superhero sandbox. It was the best superhero sandbox game. I think it still is the best superhero yes. sandbox series. Do we want to replace that with Twisted Metal? Eh, it's too late. <laughs> yeah. Also, I don't think it would fight the two. I think that would win. Well, true, but Infamous it's definitely good. is it's a good. good game. It brought a unique power structure into a superhero game of electricity of yeah. of the dual. Good and evil um, storylines within right, and it. That was the new hotness in video games. Moral yeah. choices. Yes, but unfortunately, with those <laughs> games, you had to stick with being all good or all right, evil. Yeah, that's there was no, no middle ground that you could walk. Um, I want to put out a couple of uh, uh, first-person shooter franchises okay. that I think that kind of cancel each other out because they were about the same time and about the same level of interest. All right, uh, Killzone and Resist- Insomniac's Resistance. Uh, Resistance. Yes. So Killzone is interesting because, of course, Killzone is all, will forever be known as the game that sold everybody a PS3. Yeah. Killzone Two specifically, because like everybody saw that trailer, so they're like, "Oh, it couldn't really look like this," and freaked out. You know, that's where the term "bullshot" comes from. Uh, like that was used in the video game circles for years, uh, but yeah, where it was basically like that looks too real, that has to be fake. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, like I play Killzone too. It's a fun game, but it just so of its time that I don't even think it ranks to talk about. Mm-hmm. Third one, apparently even less so. It like messed around with some three D stuff, yeah, motion controls. Resistance, same thing. It was like what Insomniac did on other years. Like, every other year where they weren't working on a, um, a Ratchet and Clank. It was the post-Ratchet and Clank, now we want to make this yeah. this shooter game an actual shooter game. And it was fine. Yeah. But it was just kind of suffered from that generic issue that a lot of first-person shooters had but at the time. It also fought up against Gears of War, which obviously did the yes. resistant fighters right. fighting aliens way better. Way better. Way better. Uh, what else are we missing here? Um, medieval, 
Papa the Rapper? Doesn't count. Doesn't count? Rapper, yeah, it doesn't count, because, like, there weren't enough of those games. Yeah, that's the thing, though, that there wasn't enough. Yeah. I'll... I saw you had Everybody's Golf on there. That's only notable because there's literally so many of them. Yeah. And they keep making them, and they are pretty all good. Mm-hmm. So, like, just the fact that they're so consistent is important. But that would be like us putting, like, like freaking, uh, like, Mario Tennis on the Nintendo list. Yeah. So it just doesn't, doesn't fit. Right, and I guess lastly, if we want to put this on here, our game of the year last year, <laughs> Spider-Man. It's again, that's with the Horizon Zero Dawn, same thing where it's like a wait and see. Yeah. Also, not every Spider-Man game has been good, so. Right, but if this game eventually spawns the these Marvel game universe, maybe, yeah, that maybe. Cool. Oh, and we need to obviously talk about the best one on this list, PlayStation All-Star Battle Royale. No. no we said franchises, not franchise <laughs> including. Wait, you're talking about Smash Brothers? Yeah, but they PlayStation have All-Star games. Battle Royale. But they have multiple no, games. It should not be on this list. That game sucks. Let's move on. That's it, I think. So right. let's uh, narrow this down. All right, so let's just not twist the middle all right off the bat here. Yeah, it's just the middle. I don't think hangs. Okay, that leaves us with uh, Grand Turismo. Which I think we could also knock off. Uh, yeah, I don't think that hangs either because of what it's up against. Right, so that leaves us with two Naughty Dogs, an Insomniac, and a Santa Monica. Let's go with the Naughty Dogs. How about, I'm going to say what I what I think are the lock two, and I'll, I want you to say what you think are the lock two. Alright, what are your lock two? I think this, it has to be Uncharted and God of War. Okay. I'm gonna As I said that, I, I immediately regretted it, but it's too late. Because <laughs> I'm going to say God of War and Ratchet and Clank. Yeah, I'm almost thinking about... I was almost thinking like, oh, maybe I should have said Uncharted and Ratchet and Clank. It, okay, so I understand why you said Uncharted, because yeah. in a cinematic gameplay experience, it is definitely up there. It is groundbreaking mm-hmm. when it came out. Right. Does but it they're hold done. up? But they're done. No, ostensibly, they're done, which yes. sucks, because that means that... Who knows? Right. Whereas God of War, yeah, you have that promising last game that implies a whole new generation of God of War games. Right, and they have a whole lot more lore to yeah. go into. They tease uh, a lot just more. just so much baggage, though. I know. That's where I'm hesitant. Whereas Ratchet and Clank also kind of like did its time and maybe has a questionable future. But, but it did a lot so of things... so good for what it was. It also did a lot of things right. It did a lot of things that... Help sell the PS2. Help make it yeah. the best-selling game, or get get, get best-selling console. I think. Let's, yeah, I think you might be onto something with God of War and Ratchet and Clank then, because Uncharted may have run its course. Uncharted may have been a thing that happened that influenced The Last of Us, and maybe that's why it's important. Right. Because The Last of Us is the thing that's continuing. Right, and I think waiting to see where The Last of Us goes. Mm-hmm. May eventually have put it on the big list. question mark, yeah. But with only one game to have been played, it's hard to do. That. Well, one and a half, one and a half, yeah, with the with the uh, DLC. Yes. Stuff. Uh, but let's give a big round of applause yeah, to Crash Bandicoot then. Yeah, because um, <laughs> nothing would would be anywhere without it. Yeah, it's true, but it's 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 a it is relegated in amber to the PS One, yeah. and that asterisk on it is, I think, too much. Yeah, I think the fact that it's no longer. A first party thing makes it kind of hard to argue for, in a in a bracket where we're talking about 
at least for three fourths of it, first party games. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I, I think that yeah, I'm okay with going with your suggestion of God of War and Ratchet and Clank. Okay, so God of War and Ratchet and Clank move okay. on, Boop-boop. and that means we are wrapping up here. I think it's insane that uh, that um, oh, they're there. It's insane that Uncharted isn't on this list, but whatever. All right, so tune in next time for our next episode uh, where we'll be talking about Microsoft. So uh, you can listen to that very soon or right now if it's already up. Yes, thank you all for tuning in. Thank you for listening to us. Um, Yeah, if you're listening to us in the future, it's all up right now. Okay, bye. Bye. Perfect time.